the reality is there's millions of people in our country and hundreds of millions of people in the world who just like aren't who are just dealing with chronic almost like permanent sexual rejection coming all the way from minneapolis to washington dc we now bring you enter the freud warning this podcast is for entertainment only and not intended for medical purposes listen at your own risk me and my wife or girlfriend haven't had sex in three months some crazy like that right like what are you how are you supposed to start to tackle that dilemma okay but so let me let me attempt to try to tackle the problem i i sort of i think there's two different layers the more like surfacey layer and then the deeper layer let me just tackle the surfacey layer thing is it's um I sort of, I think if you're going to be in a part, a romantic sexual partnership with someone, both people need to be consciously, intentionally aware of the like give and take and flow of attention and affection and sex and affirmation. It's like, if you're going to be in a partnership, you've got to realize that humans have a lot of vulnerable needs and the reason we're in partnership is to like have a nice loving safe happy container that we can invest those needs into and the reason I'm partners with you is like there's like this safety and trust and love that we can invest these vulnerabilities into that and the other person is going to respond with warmth and love and whatever um and so Partners need to do that. And so if, if, if we got a 19 out of 20 rejection thing going here, they're not doing that anymore. And that's a recipe for disaster. So both partners need to be like, whoa, we're not really like um, fulfilling our basic romantic partner duties. So we got to tackle this. We got to figure out why we're not doing it. It's not always just as simple as like, do it. Then that gets to the other my other point. Um, but there is some level of just like conscious intention and being thoughtful of the other person. There is some level. I mean, you also got to look at the deeper underlying source, but just on a simple intentional level is like, if you're rejecting your partner 19 times out of 20, like fucking stop it. Like that's not okay. Right. Would so there like in a, in a more concrete, easy, well, this is, this is what, the a real problem is if you look at the person in the rejection sensitivity that's developing right the, the person who gets rejected because it could be a woman but it's, it, it, let's get real it never is um <laughs> if if this right the 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 dude who's getting rejected so much develops this rejection sensitivity so that as soon as they detect rejection they storm off and or recoil aggressively yep. right and then you think like, okay, well, we got to work on that, buddy. But then the alternative isn't to just be rapey, right? <laughs> you can't just say, oh, okay, well, like, okay, you're in the kitchen with her and, she, and you try to grab up on her. You're like, hey, hey, lady. And she's like, come on, I'm trying to cook dinner. And you're just like, hey, yeah, yeah, cook me up some of this wiener, right? Come on. And you just keep pulling and, and just keep trying to pull her pants right. down. Like, dude. You're about to get skillet to yes. the head. 
Totally. Right? But then it's like, it's super strange because this is where the difference between rapey and playful is so subtle because you could then be like, okay, let me help you cook. And you grab the spatulas, you start spatula the booty, right? And she's like, get out, like, in a way, but like... You'd have to have that playful relationship and you'd have to remove the charge off of your rejection sensitivity. Yeah. Because if you're doing it from this desperate needs needing to be to- met totally. place, this is like, now I realize why we can never fucking get anywhere with yep. these talks. Because as soon as we try to delve into, all right, how exactly do you deal with this sensitivity? Well, okay, you have to persevere. You can't take the first sign of rejection as oh my God, that's catastrophic, run yeah, away. Totally. You have, to, you have to stay in the zone a little further yeah. and, and, and figure out how can you kind of mm, become more seductive almost. Yeah. And, and like, why did he go when she's cooking from behind to the grab? <laughs> why, didn't, why didn't he like, like, catch her checking out his muscles while he's working out and then from that moment use that signal of like oh she's check she's just creeping on my bulge what's the deal yeah. here right and then from that moment why didn't he choose that moment to then say like hey what's happening and start doing a little strip tease or whatever the fuck kind of I, I like how how are you going to increase the odds yeah. here like <clears throat> So part of it is in the approach, which it's super strange that I was having a conversation with someone yesterday where he's like, isn't it weird? He's telling me, isn't it weird that no one has ever told us how to like approach women and start relationships? Like we all figured it out from trial and Mm -hmm. error. And I was like, yeah, that's weird. Right. You hear these guys on YouTube talk a lot of smack about, oh yeah, but it's all this kind of pickup artist bullshit that this is how... This is how you pick up the ladies. This is how you pick up the ladies. It's like, not for, for like normal people, you go through this intense trial and error and it's a lot of rejection. And so then it's, it's so easy to see how you could become the 19 out of 20 dude. In fact, we've all been that guy once. Yeah, totally. It's easy to slip into that. I definitely have been that guy. But honestly, I've, yeah, been, we- I've also been the rejector too. There's this, there's this dynamic... It's, it's a really powerful, pervasive dynamic in human romantic relationships. And I wish this wasn't the case. I think it's some primitive programming deep in our brain or something. And, and I wish it wasn't the case, but it really is. And we, ha- we ha- humans, we have to admit that this is the case. And even I think a lot of therapists and psychologists try to deny how powerful this thing is. And it's this... It's this magnetic sort of yin yang the the terms that get used the most common in psychology are the pursuer and the distancer it's like when there's one person kind of hunting i'll use i'll use the wolf and the rabbit if i go into wolf and i want sex and so i start pursuing the woman something about that dance that i'm doing that energy that i'm bringing turns the woman I'm pursuing into the rabbit. And so she starts just naturally kind of leaning away from me. And then when she leans away from me, that makes me want to pursue all the more. And it's just this like 
tendency that people kind of go into that role. And then what I've noticed a lot, both myself in relationships and with the people I work with, is a relationship will get into this thing where, and it could be se- it can be anything. It doesn't have to be sexual. It can just be like who's initiating texts to who on a given day, or it can be anything. Perfect is perfect. And example. so, so let's just use the text thing. Um, is like I let's say I'm I'm always the first one in the morning to text. Hey, good morning, sweetie, or whatever. Or I'm always the one who's like, hey, what are you up to today, or this. And I, so I'm always I'm doing the pursuing. And she's kind of like only responding to my text. She never pursues. And then this thing happens. If I suddenly stop texting and I pull and I start doing rabbit, it will start to make her insecure. And then she'll be like, hey, wait, where did he go? And then you can you can like flip flop this pursuer distancer dynamic. It's and it's a it's a surprisingly powerful um psychological like a primitive psychological instinct that we have and so back to the sexual thing when the guys um coming uh, making a sexual advance 20 times a day she's of course going to be kind of going into like a turtle pulling into her shell because it's kind of like she's being harassed by this like thing so she's just like gonna go into her (laughs) shell and if he pulls back and if they have a reasonably good partnership if he pulls back eventually the turtle's going to be able to come out of the shell and if he can really pull back then eventually the turtle's going to be like hey where'd you go and then eventually the turtle's going to start pursuing and it's a that 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 dynamic in humans is so powerful and it's it's a thing that we all have to deal with in relationships i don't i don't know because your your metaphor had a wolf and a rabbit and then a turtle (laughs) like what could you explain? Like, I didn't know we were doing threesomes. I, 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 like, yeah, I, I, sorry, I switched because a rabbit doesn't have a shell to go inside. <laughs> uh, in my metaphor, I should have said that the rabbit sneaks into his little hole. That's what I should have said. And the wolf is okay, there outside okay. the rabbit hole like, hey, come on out. I want to play with you. And the rabbit's like, fuck that shit. I'm not going out there. And, then it, it, and the wolf right. actually needs to go and leave and go into his den, and if he goes into his den, he becomes a rabbit, and then the rabbit who's in the hole is like, hey, where did my lover go? And that comes out of the hole, and it notices there's no wolf there, and now the rabbit turns into a wolf, and now that wolf now goes and starts looking for a rabbit. Okay, that's nice to understand that there is the pursuer and the, what did you say? Pursuer and distancer is this thing you hear people say a lot. Okay, pursuer and distancer. But so, like, with this, it's almost promoted as being a sensitive, good, attentive relationship person to really pay, to pay close attention to the other person's needs. This is kind of a strange thing that gets us into so much trouble so that then when the person kind of is like, oh, you're trying to have sex and it's Tuesday and they're like, come on, babe, it's Tuesday. And so then in your mind whichever person it is, they immediately go, okay, not on Tuesdays. Great. And then move forward a month later. Well, then they've never made a move on Tuesdays. And so then (laughs) next thing you know, it's like, babe, it's like the morning I have to get up for work. And then they're like, oh, okay, not in the morning. Great. And then on you go. And next thing you know, the person, like, I can't tell you how many couples will come in and they'll say like, I have, we have like a problem with our sex life. And I'll say like, wait, wait, don't tell me. I swear to God, hold on. I'm going to tell you exactly what you guys are doing. 
you have sex on Friday or Saturday yes, nights. Totally. And it's it's in the bedroom for sure with the lights on or off, depending on which preference yep. you guys have. But it's one or the other. And, and it's always totally. one or the other. And you're going to tell me which yep. one it is. And then you always have the same sequence of events. And it ends totally. with either you guys do it in missionary or it's doggy style, whichever one it is that you guys finish yep. with. It always ends in the same and they're like, oh my God. Yeah. They literally feel like I, I'm like a creep and I've been yeah, filming totally. them. And, and I'm like, no, that happens because of your perceived, oh, I'm a good attentive lover and I'm trying to listen to what you yeah. need. But all you're listening to is what they don't yeah. want. You're not listening to what they yeah, need. Yeah. What they need, what they may need is to like have sex all the time on Tuesdays in the afternoon in their like kitchen. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, the, but the then, other uh, th- this idea that's coming up for me is the other reason that happens is, is uh, it's kind of like twofold, though they're related. Is humans are creatures of routine, so when we find something that works, we kind of like go into the routine. But the reason sex, I in sp- particular, becomes so routinized is that. Um, and this gets to the heart of kind of what we're talking about, is sex is like a super vulnerable, intimate interaction between two and be, two people. And because it's so vulnerable, when you start getting rejected or when this thing doesn't work or that doesn't go good, it's really painful. So we like find the things that aren't going to elicit rejection or that aren't it's like we really color within the lines because because bumping up uh, coloring outside of the lines can hit you can hit vulnerability and rejection and stuff and it's like a fucking electric fence so we get like scared and we just want to do the one thing that works and like if you if i know my girlfriend really likes it uh doggy style and it's like okay that's gonna work and if i do that she's going to be happy with me and she's not going to reject me, then like, I'm not going to try to do it cowgirl because like, I might get rejected or that might not work from her. So I like, I like shrink into this place of safety, which makes sense. But unfortunately, too much safety is not very hot. Um, and it's not exciting and yeah. it's not adventurous. And what's erotic is stuff that's exciting and novel and adventurous. But to be exciting and novel and adventurous, you got to take the risk of coloring outside the lines and getting zapped by the electric fence. <laughs> that's a good, that's great, man. I totally, I've, I see exactly that it's like a nice expansion of, of the portrayal I was making that, oh yeah, this is just inevitable that you're going to end up in this kind of a marginalized situation where you only have sex once a week and how you do it is always routine. And then you start thinking, wow, uh, well, both people are participating in that shrinkage of novelty. Both people. And that's where it really is amazing when you start asking people, well, who initiates sex? And they always think it's one or the other. And sometimes they're fucking wrong. Mm. Right? They'll say, oh yeah, well, he is the one who like kind of reaches over and when we're in bed and he starts trying to do this to me. And then you're like, oh really? Like, well, so what do you do before you get into bed? And they're like, oh well, 
uh, I kind of go in the bathroom and I do my, I like do my make, remove my makeup and I brush my teeth, blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out that, oh no, actually when she wants to have sex, she does a secret thing mm. unconsciously that when she's doing that, she puts perfume on before coming mm-hmm. to bed where other nights she doesn't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so it's like, well, who's actually initiating? She yeah, is. Yeah. She gives a very loud signal. It happens to be fragrant. Yeah. And like, why the fuck is she putting perfume on before going yeah, to bed? Yeah. It's like, like, but in, in that variance of who is the one that initiates is so fascinating as you look at that into what were we're, what were we talking oh we're talking about sexual rejection (laughs) (laughs) yeah well all of this is super relevant as to why do people get rejected in in monogamous relationships where it's supposed to kind of work right totally yeah the well i here's this and it's this idea you you hear Esther Perel made this idea famous, but Stephen Mitchell kind of is the one who sort of first um, published it. I'm sure it's been an idea that's been around for a long time, but Stephen Mitchell sort of wrote this book, and then Esther Perel has gotten famous because she uh, articulated Stephen Mitchell's idea uh, that we humans, we have these two, um, and again, I'm kind of using this yin-yang metaphor. We have this like yin-yang needs, and one is for security and predictability um, and um, comfort and familiarity. And then the other one is for excitement and newness and adventure and novelty and danger. And we have both of these. And I think the best metaphor is how we like to have a home, but we also like to go on vacation and travel. And you wouldn't want to travel 365 days a year. That starts to suck. But you also don't want to be stuck at home 365 days a year. So this, it's like you have to dip in and out of these two needs. And with regards to romantic and sexual partnership, we want the security of a partner. But then the security, we, we start to cling more and more to the security because we want our partner to be familiar and predictable and reliable. And, and we want monogamy and we don't want our partner doing anything else. And so it's like we clamp down on that. And then as that happens, it starts to choke out this other thing which was excitement and novelty and that's when we fell in love and we're super hot for our partner when it was a new exciting thing and then it's new exciting and then we want to clamp down it and own it and put it in a little prison and stick it in our pocket so we got it and it's like super a, a sure thing but for some reason sure things just are not that hot yeah that's weird right like the just the the clear observation that in the beginning it's not that unusual to spend the entire weekend day in bed having sex like pretty much over and over and you're like think about that after you've been with the person for like four years right like are you really going to stay in bed all saturday and have nobody nobody is interested times yeah it's super weird that like you think about like well why why would you do that well i i mean someone wants to do that but just not very many i don't know dude does someone want to do that if you've been together four years do they want to just like hang out for a whole weekend laying around in the bedroom fucking and then chatting and then fucking and then chatting they don't even really go out 
after four years? I don't think anyone does that. <laughs> Maybe you're right. I don't know. I like it's it's really obvious unless that four year relationship is punctuated with lots of breakups and uh, other yeah. n- other people that are introduced, which whatever it's, uh, I, it sounds much more like um, I don't want to drift into some kind of romantic needs discussion because really I was trying to focus on this idea of, well, how do you deal with rejection? And if you don't deal with it appropriately, what happens to you? Like, as you are the guy who believes that it's normal to be rejected 19 out of 20 times, uh, you doesn't matter if that's what you believe. It's going to have an impact on your psyche regardless of whether you think that shit's normal. Yeah. The, this yeah. question, how do you deal with sexual rejection, it, it, it kind of also, I mean, we're, we've been talking about it within a committed partnership. And that's one question. And, but for some reason, I'm wanting to add this other question. Because actually, I think this question is more common and more problematic of how does a man... And it, we, I think I, I feel like there's a, the, the question is different for men and for women. Let me start with men. How does a man who's not in a relationship, he's single, how does he deal with sexual rejection? And then as soon as I pose that question, okay. I start to think about this... Um, um, phenomenon that is getting more and more attention of the incels. If, if you've, have you heard of the incels? Oh, course. And, and there's, there's all these stats, there's all these stats out there that you hear people talking about, uh, that there's a growing, a fairly quickly growing population of men. I think women too, of men who just don't ever have any sex. Um, and, and, and why that's happening is a really fascinating cultural sociological, uh, uh, question, but the reality is there's millions of people in our country and hundreds of millions of people in the world who just like aren't, who are just dealing with chronic, almost like permanent sexual rejection. Yeah. Like I just recently heard a stat that half the guys graduating from MIT graduate virgins. Graduate, yeah. not go to. Like they don't arrive virgins, and then I because I was gonna send my kid there, and then I'm like, <laughs> no, you're not going there, kid. Right? Fuck that place. I know. I'm like, I know you're super geeked out and all, but uh, sorry, man. Like, can't go there. Right? Anymore. Because because no, you have this assumption, which I think is an accurate assumption, but I don't think most I don't think most people get this that the need for sex, the need. And maybe even more powerful than that is the need to feel desired and to feel wanted and to feel like you can get your sexual relational affection needs met. That need is so fucking powerful and so important and chronically having that need denied and rejected, I think is like disastrous um, and I, th- I, you know, you know I don't think we recognize that. And I think it's really important. And I think that's a big problem. You know where my intensity of this comes from is, is growing up in India where they kind of preached this whole celibacy thing to the point where I was very fascinated as a kid and I would see these sadhus, which are the, the holy men of the Hindu tradition that would go so far as to actually destroy their dick, their wiener. Wow. They, they, 
they get an erection and then they hit it with a stick yep. so that it that it severs the nerves yep. and so then their 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 dick never can feel wow. again and and that to me as a young guy was just like fuck that <laughs> like no this is the worst plan yes because, like, I could even then, like, I didn't know anything about anatomy and physiology, but I knew, like, that's just your dick. And this is prior to me even going through puberty. I, I observed this and I thought, you know, because you see these sadhu guys and there they are doing weird shit, like hanging a rock from their yeah. dick and, like, you know, and, and I'm just chilling, like, for real, hanging out with yeah. these guys. Actually, right? Like, um, in Rishikesh and in... in the towns where they were at and I yep. was at. I just happened to be in the town where these these yep. guys were. And I I could immediately see like there's some profound distortion And, and it's so common. And I, I like that you're giving this example of um, in India and these sadhus because in America we typically think of this as a part of Christianity, that there's this long legacy in the Western Christian worldview that's like, anti-sex and sees sex as dangerous and sinful and bad and that we need to suppress it and we need to transcend it but it's a it's not just christian it's like it's a it's a cultural tension that exists around the world and i think it's because sex is dangerous it's tricky it exposes vulnerabilities it it we we people usually men it will exploit others for sex uh, people will kill each other over sex. It's just like, it's such a powerful force in human psychology that I think historically, all these um, sort of classical world religions came along through, throughout the course of the last uh, couple thousand years. And they developed all these rules around sex, like no sex before marriage, or there's so many rules around sex in all different religions. And, and I think that culturally developed to try to tame and control and regulate and uh, structure a thing that's fucking dangerous as hell, but I sort of feel like there's this bal there's this like balance a scale of balance and and with the 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 world religion sort of suppression and constriction of of sex, the balance was tilted a little bit too much towards the puritanical suppression, and now people are trying to tilt it back, and we're just struggling to figure it out because it's fucking tricky. It is. I'll tell you, when I was a teenager, this is a funny tale. I, I went to the town where the Dalai Lama mm -hmm. lives, right? It's kind of on the border of India and you know, Nepal. You, you know, what, right? it's, you and, know what the um, name is? It's called Dharamsala. Right. I remember that. So I, I take a trip there with some other kids, and uh, the Dalai Lama's not there, so we don't get to like sit in his presence. But So they, they send a guy to give us a tour around the, the monastery. And so this guy's giving us a tour and somewhere along the lines, he realizes, oh, he's just talking to a bunch of teenagers. He's like, you want to know something? I'm a bad monk. Like last weekend, I ran into town and I drank whiskey and I got a porno magazine and I jerked <laughs> off. And, <laughs> and, and I'm not, this is a real yeah. story, right? And I'm, I'm literally just like looking at that going, huh? Yeah. I mean, if I was a monk here, I would do that too, probably. Yeah. Like, because I'm looking at this dude, he's in his 20s, right? And he's just like supposed to be a celibate right. guy. But the, but the Western influence had already arrived. Like Baywatch was on TV. Oh. Like no kidding. Baywatch like, had just, creeped into his monastery 
and and uh, turned him into a whiskey drinking, porno watching bad monk. <laughs> a bad monk, he said, right? Like it's it's so strange that here we are again into a more expansive discussion of some kind of a cultural parameters as to how it is that one will like because now it's not the individual being rejected because at first we were talking about monogamous people then we're talking about like people who were like a girl or a guy who's single trying to like find their needs met in cells to now it's cultural a, a like global phenomenon of the the restriction of sex is bad you you're not allowed to pursue this as some kind of a free totally. agent and and in fact there's places you can go where you can destroy your wiener or become celibate forever supposedly yep. until you're yep. bad yeah well yes and i i guess i want to say that it's it's this dialectical idea that i'm talking about is that destroying the wiener isn't the answer and just going hog wild and fucking everything you see isn't the answer. And it's this tricky, confusing integration or balance between those two that we're trying to figure out and we just haven't mastered the recipe yet. Um, I, 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 we, we're, you and I are sort of accusing ourselves of not giving nice, simple, straight answers to practical questions. And instead, we get off onto these big philosophical things. So let me take a stab, and then you can take a stab at giving just a, like a simple, straightforward answer. And, and, and let, let's right. do both. Let's do the, 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 the long-term partnership people who are complaining of the 19 out of 20 rejection. And then let's do the guy who's like feeling chronically rejected. So uh, you want to start or you want me to start? Wait, the uh, the wait, the guy who's chronically rejected could be the long-term relationship. Right, no, but I'm talking about a guy, and we, we maybe should do men and women, in a, in a relationship or the single kind of like incel guy. I feel like those are two different oh. patients that we oh, could yeah, see yeah. that we could like try to give practical advice to. Yeah, why don't you go for the incel one first, if you if you okay, could, and then I'll I'll att- I'll okay. try that. Um, I'm I'm gonna give super practical advice, but I can't neglect saying that the, the, the if I'm working with this kind of more incel guy, I'm gonna all besides what I'm about to say, I'm also gonna be working on building his self esteem, which is a a bit of a slower, longer thing. There's not super practical advice, but the super practical advice I'm gonna give him give him is, hey dude, step one is you got to start building up your confidence in yourself. And to do that, you ha- you sort of have to um, uh, take on a self-discipline work. It's sort of like find, like see the mountain you have to climb and start working towards climbing the mountain. And the mountain is the mountain of self-esteem and being attractive. Um, and there, I, there's maybe two main facets of the mountain is one, make yourself an attractive person. So start working, start getting in shape, start doing interesting things, um, start, uh, you know, get a job that's that, that works for you and that makes you money, get an apartment, get a car, like start building yourself, build, you, do the work to build yourself into an attractive person. That's one side of it. And the other side of it is it, and start working to be sensitive to, if it's a guy wanting to um, uh, be in a relationship with a woman, start 
developing sensitive awareness to women and what they find attractive and what works for them. So you, you, uh, the man has to get out of his sort of like egocentric sense and start to look at women and learn about them and learn what they want and like and what's attractive to them. And, and if he can build on those two skills, he will become successful with women. Okay, nice. Well, I can definitely be more practical right. than that. Because that's I, I think that's like a good first chapter of a book, man. Um, I'm going to go for basically like break, it, break the, the functional aspect down of how do you approach a woman? Mm -hmm. How does that even yep. work? How do you go from, how do you go from where you're at physically to the person is 20 feet away? How do you reduce the distance between the two of you so that you might potentially then have an interaction that could lead to something like rejection yes. or right. they are giving you loud signals. Perfect. So, okay. Right? So how do you because, do that? Well, I, I refer to this as the approach, right? Okay. I, I refer to it as the approach and I basically would recommend that you do not make an approach unless you have already been given a signal like an invite yeah. so the invite would be anything like the person looks at you and then kind of like smiles a bit acknowledges you and or looks more than once but not because they don't look more than once because they're concerned because you're staring <laughs> like a fucking weirdo like no they, they legitimately but this is where people in the very beginning, it's so challenging because people can't read the cues. They, they're literally tone deaf to, to body language and facial expressions yeah, totally. and in reading a room. Totally. And so, so that's why this fundamental discussion of, oh, we have to figure out how to even make an approach. And you're like, well, that's easy. And I always ask, I ask people who are having a hard time. I'm like, hey, tell me a time of when you went to the bar and walked up to some ladies. Like, how did yep. that go? And they'll be like, oh, well, I was out down in this place called Arlington where there's all these bars. And I walk up to these girls and I'm like, hey. And then they looked at me and are just like, <laughs> and walked away. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, well, what, what did you think you were going to say to them? And he's like, I don't know. I just told my buddy, like, dude, see those chicks? I'm going to go talk to them. And I'm like, really? That was what was going on in your head. See those chicks? I'm going to go talk to them. Okay. And so when you got there, literally what came out of your mouth was, hey. <laughs> and then you just, you stood there with a vacant look on your face. <laughs> and also, by the way, he approached them from behind. They were looking uh. away. And he like approaches him from behind, taps him on the shoulder. Hey. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, the success rate of this move is like fucking zero unless you happen to be a goddamn sports movie yeah. star. And then you tap him on the shoulder and they turn around. And they're like, oh my God, look, there it's Ronaldo, dude. Like that's it. Aren't you a famous soccer player? Like that might work. Uh, but anything short of, of that. You're so shooting yourself. Okay, so what'd you so, tell this dude? So I literally was like, 
All right, buddy, we're going to have to work on how it is that you walk into a bar. Where do you stand? Where, Because where he's standing is not where they're... He was like off in some corner creeping. Yep. And then he, he decides to, to creep, to lurch out of the creep and then say like, ha-ha, surprise. And I'm like, well, buddy, okay. That, that is guaranteed to get you into some kind of a you're scaring yeah, yeah. me zone. And I think this, ex- this so, example you're given, I think, is the same psychology as the example of the husband who just gets rapey with his wife. It's like they're, they're, they're kind of hidden in the dark and, and they're, they're like building up desire and then they just pounce <laughs> as opposed... And I think you do that because it's... I think it's because of vulnerability. You hide in the dark because it's vulnerable and scary to like go out and show yourself as a sexual human who's interested in another person. But if you can't do this more slow, complex, discerning dance. If you just hide in the dark and then pounce, it's never going to work. Yeah, the alternative is actually really challenging. To like show up at a bar that you don't know and to go and post up in a way that all eyes are on you so that you are seen and then you have to then posture in a way that's inviting. And you have to stay there, which... I literally did this in the most challenging situation I could think of. I went to this this Iranian wedding. A neighbor friend, a neighbor of mine who became a friend, invited me to his yep. wedding. I show up and I realize I'm the only white guy yep. there, even though the you know people from Iran are, are considered white, but um, I'm the not only Iranian culturally, yeah, not Iranian guy. So I I like find myself gravitating towards the wall, and then I see these other people who are also kind of outcasts within this massive thing yep. happening. But then there's there's these other scenes going on. So I go up to the bar. There's a line of people getting drinks going to the yep. bar. I go up. I get a drink. I turn my back to the bar right next to the line. Like I move down a few. And then I just stand there with my drink just observing the people. And, and But, I mean, this took a lot of guts because now all eyes are on yep. me. What's with that guy? And so very soon, a, a, a guy similar to my age, well, he posts up right next yep. to me. And he's, and he's like, hey, man, what's yep. going on? Starts talking yep. to me. And that th- then kind of was an invite. I asked him, what's going on here? What's that table? What are those guys doing? Who are these people? And he's telling me, oh, those are the elders. These are the guys. So then pretty soon, other people come up yep. to us and they yep. want to start totally. talking to us. Right? And so and you think like, well, who can do that? Not many no. people. Like it took me many years to be able to become someone that fluid. Yep. You and and so for all those talking smack about uh, you know picking up people randomly at, on YouTube. Oh, you just kind of peacock and you show up and you wear the right things with your bros and you have a wingman and bleh, it's like, dude, you you you're majorly overselling something that is. It's like a. a an amazing challenge to actually Yeah, to pull do off. it right, there's a there's a courage to like put yourself out there in a more vulnerable way and it's it's a tall order. It's not easy to do. Man, we ran I out know. of time. It was too bad, but um, it was a it, it was a it was it was a fun challenge to try to not go big picture. We uh, we didn't do that great of a job. <laughs> yeah, we need help, yeah. man. All right, All buddy. Right. Till next right. time. Later.